Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. Not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, You shall not kill, but whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, If you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, 
Do not swear at all. Not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you. For everybody that came this past week, if you recall, we launched our first, which, which I, I plan to be, uh, every month presentation. And with the first talk that we did was on... Western civilization, which we're all a part of, and the book that changes our world. The Bible is the most important book ever. And, I, and part of my argument was is to share these ideas, which we got from sacred scripture, which changes us. And so thank you for all those who came, especially who brought food, who attended, who brought your friends. Between the talks in Loyalton and Portola, we had about 80 people between the two. And so for the first one, I think that's fantastic. And I hope for many of you more to come. And in case you weren't there, we're gonna, I'm going to publish it today when I get home. And we're going to put it on the website where the other homilies are. So that way, if you miss the talk, it will be there available to you. And even if you came to the first talk in Laurelton, in fact, because I was reading all of your faces. Like, uh-oh, I put too much information in, in, in this one little 45-minute time block. And so for Bertola, I actually streamlined it. So even if you attended the first talk, come back if you're interested and listen to the second talk because it's, uh, it's, it's different. I streamlined the information. And in fact, I was also, as I was reading your faces, I think the talk brought up more questions than answers, which is a good thing, in fact. It's a great thing to have questions. So I'm going to change the format a bit. I'm, I'm going to shorten my presentation time to maybe 30 minutes at the most and then dedicate the last other half to all of your questions. Because our teachers know we learn from each other, and sometimes the best knowledge that's, that's learned is through people's questions and answers and that, and that dynamic. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to change the format a little bit. And I already have the topic for the next month's talk. How to read the Bible. How do we do it? Because there's an ancient way, a formula of doing it. Because a lot of the divisions of Christianity is because somebody takes one verse out of the Bible, boom, separates it, and all of a sudden they're, they're off and running and they form a new church. And so a lot of the divisions of Christianity is because we misread the Bible. And so I want to offer what the church has always used from the, from the very beginning, the format and formula, how to approach God's holy word properly and not to go crazy. But one of the highlights of that talk, if you recall, you think about it, we live, we live in the most advanced, the most wealthy, the most prosperous nation on earth. We are absolutely lucky to live here. And millions of people are trying to get in here. And how, how did this come to be? And it's all rooted in one of the ideas that was revealed to us 
by God through sacred scripture. And when you hear this verse, you're actually, you're going to yawn when you hear this. Because you're going to think about it and say, of course that's true. Ah, but not before our Lord revealed it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This verse, my friends, would change the course of history. And in fact, it would build our civilization to make us again. Remember, we are the wealthiest nation on earth. We are the most healthiest, meaning that we have the best access to to healthcare, our hospitals, not that we are individually healthy because we love our potato chips and our bacon, right? So we're not exactly we're the most healthiest, but we have access to it. And we are the most technologically advanced. Why? And it's all rooted, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In that beautiful verse, as God was creating the world, he says in that verse, that you and I, every single person, is created in his image and likeness. Pretty boring, right? <laughs> but think about that moment. Think about that for a moment. Every single human being is stamped with inherent dignity, value, and worth. Every single person. You see, prior to this revelation, not everyone was equal. Not everyone was equal. It depended upon which social class you were a part of. It depended upon which family you were born into. It depended upon which nation you belonged. Think about slavery. Why slavery was eradicated precisely in Western civilization. It took us a long time to eradicate this idea. This scourge of slavery is contingent upon the idea that not all people are created equal, that there's a certain class of persons that I can use as property, that I can use as my own whim. See, the idea in slavery that, that it is, is a good thing permeated the ancient world. And in fact, still permeates to this very day. The fact now that every person has inherent value squashes slavery. Why did we invent hospitals? Notice it comes out of Western Catholicism. Because if you see somebody lying down in the gutter of the street, if I apply the principle that all people are created in the image and likeness of God, I must pick up that person off the street and I must bring them back to health. So we create the healthcare network. Why are we multi-technology advanced nation? Because of our universities and our, and, our, and our ability to study the world. You see, that's inherent in being stamped with the image and likeness of God because if each person now has this image of God in them, then now I must use my ability of reason and rationality to understand the universe. Which is why we created the university system. And why are we, why why is the United States the freest nation? 
Notice our entire political system is built upon the, the idea that you have value and I have value. You know, if you've been paying attention in politics, it's, it's, it's hilarious, to, especially during the Democratic uh, primary. Mayor Bloomberg out of New York, he's already spent $300 million, by the way. He said he's committed to spending $1 billion to get elected. Why is he spending all that money? Because he knows that you and I have something in us stamped with inherent dignity, and that each single one of our votes has power. Think now, as we live in this democratic system, what's happening in China? Do you think the president, Xi Jinping, is spending $1 billion to get reelected? No. He just named himself president until he dies. There's no choice in China, by the way. Because it's all about the state has power, not the individual. Think now also, the most prosperous nation, all of us, we live in this amazing economy. The free market system by which we enjoy our benefits and these gifts is built upon the idea that every individual has a freedom to enter into transactions. And that basic free market econ uh, principle in the economy now permeates allows us to build this massive economy we have. Why does socialism always lag behind? Why socialism, when applied, never works? Because socialism says that the state, not the individual, is responsible for the means of production. And in all of this is contingent upon being stamped with the image and likeness of God. You see, from that one single idea, it's built our entire civilization. We all have choice. We all have free will. And we saw this idea perfectly played out this last Friday. What was Friday? Valentine's Day. I saw a lot of the photos. A lot of the, the, uh, the, the teens went to the a dance, Valentine's Day dance at the, at the lodge over here, huh? Looking all beautiful and, and stunning and handsome. It was beautiful. You know what Valentine's Day, by the way? Men, by the way, brothers. You know how much we spent on Valentine's Day? I look up the numbers, because I think the numbers tell a great story. Last year we spent on Valentine's Day, and this year is probably the same thing, if not more. $11.4 billion on Valentine's Day. $11.4 billion. That's a lot of chocolate. That's a lot of roses. And men, you can kind of judge on, on where you rank on the scale. Because on average, you know how much individually each man spent for their wife or their girlfriend? So guys, you can kind of judge where you are on the scale. If you're a loser or if you're amazing. So the average that a man spent on a significant other for Valentine's Day was $153.65. That's the average. Jeff, how much did you spend on Barbara? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> 50 cents, is that what you said? I heard. <laughs> you already want her anyway, by the way. No need to. <laughs> but why did we do that, by the way? 
He's spending $11 billion as men on our wives and our girlfriends. Because notice, in that ability to spend all that money, by the way, is that Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 is in there. Because we all understand, especially when we're dating or we're in a relationship with somebody, I can't force that person to love me. I cannot. We cannot force anybody to love us. And that is why we spend $11 billion. With flowers, candy, chocolate. It's because with these gifts, what we're trying to do? We're trying to woo the other. Don't. I remember in high school, I, I confess, don't try this at home. In, in, uh, in, in our sophomore year, me and my friends, we discovered this book of poetry, cheesy poetry. And so we would copy the poems down, and we'd write it, we'd write it in these love notes, and we would pass it to the beautiful girls in class. Right? Hey, hey, Susan, I, I wrote you a poem from my heart. Here it is. And they would read it, and they're like, oh, wow, you're so sensitive. Yes, we are sensitive. You're so romantic. Yes, we are romantic. Why would we do that? By the way, write your own poems. Roman and Rocco. Write your own poems, huh? <laughs> See, the reason why we do that is so because we try to woo the other person. Because why? Because they have free will. And I can't force anybody to love me. And so I must entice them with $11.4 billion. Why Mayor Bloomberg He's trying to entice us to vote for him with one billion dollars. Same idea. Every single person has dignity, has value. God knows that. If we all have free will then, he cannot force us to follow him, to love him, and to obey his commandments. He cannot force us. And that is why powerfully, as you read in the book of Sirach, listen what God says. If you choose, you can keep the commandments and they will save you. If you trust in God, you too shall live. He has set before you fire and water to whichever you choose. Before man are life and death, good and evil. Whichever he chooses shall be given him. You see, what God has just laid out for humanity, he's given us the commandments and how we shall live. But God has given every single one of us as being created in the image and likeness of God the ability now to choose or not, to honor our free will. And he lays out this path before us. Choose good. Reject evil. And God will honor our free will to choose and he will try to woo us. How? The cross. The beautiful cross. Ask yourself, 
Why did Jesus have to die in that brutal way? Why? Jesus could have saved humanity with a paper cut, by the way. It would have taken just one single drop of his precious blood to save humanity. But he allows himself to be crucified and tortured in the most horrific way imaginable. When you see Jesus on the cross dying, that is God's version of chocolate, of roses. And he says to humanity, you have free will, absolutely every single one of us. I've given you that. Stamp that into your very soul. Choose me, our Lord begs. Life or death? Because whatever we choose, God will honor it. And that is why now, as we go back to the second reading which Paul beautifully says, notice now, Utterly spectacular. Because in the gospel reading today, our Lord lays out some powerful, high standard of behavior for us. Look at that one line, which I'm sure many men, many of us struggle with. What does our Lord say to us? He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he ups the game, doesn't he, Jesus? He says, even if you look at a woman with lust... You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Do you see that high bar? And again, you know, I love talking about the hard topics because I think we are better when, we, when everything's brought out into the light. This is a struggle for many of us men because our, our, our minds are wired for the, for the visual. 35% of all internet traffic are indecent websites. 35%. Of all the internet traffic in the entire world, 35%. The youngest age that a young boy will, will see these images is 11. This is why I think, to go off on a little tangent, we have to be prudent on whether or not we should allow our young people to have cell phones. Why do I say that? Because what makes these cell phones so amazing, there's also a downside to that. What makes it amazing? We have access to all the information in the world. What makes it horrible? We have access to all the information in the world. 11 years old is the first age that, on average, that young man, a young boy will, be, will encounter that. And all the studies show it's addictive. It rewires our brains. And that exposure could give a young person and give them that addiction for the rest of their lives. Oh, don't, please, do not underestimate that. I'll hear confessions of older people and say, Father, it began at this age, and I've struggled with it for 50 years. So I say that from a pastor's heart. We have to be prudent on what we give our young people, because what makes us great also makes us bad. And we struggle with this as men. So our Lord lays this out. But what's amazing is that God does not leave us by ourselves. Remember that. With Christ, all things are possible through the graces of the sacraments. We are not bound or redefined by our sins. We are more than that. 
That's why we are made new in Christ. And in Him, when we choose Him, He gives us the ability to conquer our vices. So remember, wherever you are on that spectrum, especially my brothers, Christ is a way to break free from these chains. And when we choose Him, and I'll end here with this beautiful line now from St. Paul. With all of that said, hear this again. We speak a wisdom to those who are mature. Not a wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But rather we speak of God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined for all the ages. As it is written, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard, what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love Him, this God has revealed to us through the Spirit. With our free will now, God gives us this choice. And He says, choose me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.